on the show today. We cover news of two additional data breaches. Apple releases updates for macOS and iOS. Dutch politicians held a meeting with a deep-faked Russian politician. Our Scam of the Day discusses those calls you've probably gotten from Microsoft. And today's tip teaches you how to stay safe at your public library. All of that and more is coming up on the May 3rd, 2021 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Jim Herman. I have five stories on the news beat for you today. We begin with news about two separate data breaches that have been reported in the last week. First, the Wyoming Department of Health reported that it accidentally posted the results of a variety of medical tests in a public repository. The data involved 53 sets of files, which included results for tests for COVID-19, influenza, and alcohol. The state of Wyoming estimated that over 164,000 people were affected by this breach, which amounts to over 25% of the state's population. Meanwhile, the credit reporting company Experian fixed a weakness that allowed anyone to look up a credit score just by providing the person's name and mailing address. The issue was discovered by a student at the Rochester Institute of Technology who said he discovered the issue while shopping around for student loan vendors. The student said that by looking at the code used on several websites, he was able to discover calls to Experian's API that automated queries for credit scores. The scores could be accessed without any form of authentication and by only entering the name and address of the person you were asking about. Experian says that the problem has been fixed because the specific vendor identified has fixed the issue on their site. However, other vendors could also be using the same problematic implementation. Hopefully, that isn't the case. In news from Apple, the Cupertino company has pushed out two major updates last week, one that fixes a significant security flaw and a second that gives a major privacy upgrade. macOS received an update that fixed a bug which permitted access to a Mac system without the user's permission. The flaw exploited Mac's Gatekeeper security system, which ensures that downloads are verified and free from malware before permitting execution of the file. The file would require user interaction, but all you would have to do is download and open the file to grant the attacker access to your system. Given the sensitive nature of this update, 
I highly recommend you update your Mac right away. However, Apple also released an update to iOS, which implements Apple's new privacy policies. With the new update, apps must get permission before accessing data from another app. So, for example, the Facebook app will have to ask for your permission before it can access data from your web browsing app. While it's certain that many companies that rely on advertising did not want to see this change, Facebook has led the way in criticizing it, claiming that Apple was exploiting its position to force people to use its own advertising systems instead of competitors. However, Apple pushed forward despite the criticism, and the changes are now in place for those who have the latest version of iOS. Moving to South America, Argentinians were temporarily unable to access the Argentina Google page last week after someone else purchased the company's domain name. A domain name is the text-based name that we use for a website, such as google.com, or in this case, google.com.ar for Argentina's Google page. Companies and individuals purchase a domain name by registering it with a domain name registrar, but that registration must be renewed periodically. In this case, Google allowed the registration to lapse, which allowed a man to purchase the domain for 540 pesos, or about $5.80 in American money. Ironically, the man even used Google's own domain registration system to purchase the name. However, his ownership of Google's domain was short-lived, as Google managed to regain control about three hours later. Google claims that this was a result of a technical error, and the domain was actually supposed to have been registered through July. Heading over to the Netherlands, some of the country's politicians on the Foreign Affairs Committee held a video call with a Russian politician, only to later learn that the man on the other end of the call was using deepfake technology to impersonate the politician. While the person responsible for the fake call has not been identified, it is believed to be the same person who has held similar conversations with politicians in several other countries. Fortunately, there doesn't appear to be any lasting political implications from the call, but it does illustrate the dangers of deepfake technology and the power it could hold to impact world events. Meanwhile, the Dutch parliament released a statement saying that it was looking into ways to prevent incidents like this in the future. And finally, if you have an interest in fonts, you now have an opportunity to help change the world. Microsoft announced last week that it will be changing the default font in its Office suite, and it's turned to social media to help it decide which font should replace Calibri. Calibri has been the default font in Microsoft's Office suite since 2007, when it replaced Times New Roman. Microsoft has selected five finalists for its default font, and it is seeking input on which one should be used as the new standard for Office documents. So if you're interested in fonts, head over to Microsoft's social media pages 
and let them know which one you like and why. I examined the list the other day, and I'm pleased to report to you that none of the finalists are Comic Sans or Wingdings. And now we move on to the scam of the day. Have you ever received a call from Microsoft letting you know that you have a problem with your computer? Most of our listeners probably have. The benevolent people of Microsoft keep tabs on your computer and let you know when you have a problem with your system. The only problem is that Microsoft doesn't have time to keep track of every Windows computer and let the owners know when there's a problem. Don't believe it when someone calls you, and by all means, don't give them access to your computer. Microsoft will never initiate contact with you regarding a computer issue, and they'll also never supply a pop-up on your computer telling you to call them. They're only going to talk to you if you initiate the conversation. Furthermore, if you need any kind of help, don't trust the phone number that Google provides in a search result. Always go to the official website for the company you are trying to contact. You never know for sure if the phone number that Google provides is a legitimate number or happens to be one of a scammer that Google's bots accidentally picked up. If you find a scam you think we'd like to talk about on the show, you can send it to us at scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. And now we move on to our cybersecurity pop quiz. Each week, we ask you a question in the field of online security or privacy, and it's your job to figure out the right answer. Today's question is, which of the following methods for encrypting your Wi-Fi is the safest? A, WEP or WEP, B, WIP or WHIP, C, WPA2, D, WPS, or E, WPA3. The answer will be revealed in next week's episode. But if you want to know it right away, you can go to cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash quiz to submit your guess and find out if you're right. Plus, if you submit your guess on the website, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you'll be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card when we conclude Season 3 next August. But your guess to this question must be submitted before the next regular episode airs on Monday, May 10th. For official rules, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash quiz rules. Last week's question was, which of the following issues can happen if you do not put a password on your Wi-Fi network? A. Your internet speeds could be slowed down. B. Your internet access could be turned off. C. Your internet traffic will not be encrypted and could be monitored. D. Your internet traffic could be sold to advertisers. Or E. Your internet access could be used by someone else with malicious purposes. The correct answers are A, C, and E. 
If you don't password protect your Wi-Fi, someone else could use your internet, which would slow down your own traffic. Your internet traffic will not be encrypted, which means that someone else could monitor what you're sending online. Obviously, there are other layers of encryption that can protect your most sensitive data, but some of your traffic will be unencrypted. And yes, someone could use your internet service for malicious purposes, and that activity will, at least initially, be traced back to you. However, your internet access isn't going to be turned off just because you didn't put a password on your Wi-Fi. And while data about your internet traffic can be sold to advertisers, that could happen regardless of whether or not you've password protected your Wi-Fi. To stop that, you need to take other steps, such as using a VPN. This week is the American Library Association's Choose Privacy Week, which is focused on raising awareness of privacy practices at libraries, both among librarians and their patrons. In honor of this week, we are going to discuss some steps you can take to protect your privacy at the library when we come back from this short break. Hi, it's Jim. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love it if you could follow us in your favorite podcast player. That will ensure you never miss an episode. And while you're there, we'd also appreciate it if you could rate the show and give us a review. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. And finally, the best review that someone can give us is to tell their friends about the show. Invite them to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or send them to our website, cybersecuritymadepersonal.com, where they can find links to the show in all the major podcast players. Thanks for your support, and now, back to the show. The idea of a library dates back multiple millennia to archives that were written on clay tablets. Some of the earliest libraries even had their own classification system, with information written on the side of the tablet so it could be displayed without actually needing to pull the tablet out of the stack. This permitted the tablets to be organized by their subject matter just like the Dewey Decimal System does for books today. Throughout the years, libraries have changed. There are personal libraries, subscription libraries, and now public libraries. Public libraries began as a free place to obtain knowledge. You can do research on whatever subject you want to study, or you can escape to another place inside a work of fiction. Many people have benefited from what libraries have to offer. One lady, upon seeing that her son was struggling in school, began taking her child to the library every week, where he would check out books and then report back to his mother on what he had read. That man, Ben Carson, would later become one of the world's best neurosurgeons. 
he became the first person to successfully separate twins joined at the head. That likely would not have happened without the opportunities that were offered by the public library. However, public libraries today offer a wide variety of services. While libraries still allow you to check out books, they offer so much more. Many offer ebooks and other forms of digital entertainment, and they may even offer e-readers to those who don't have them. Almost every library has computers and printers available for use, and most also function as community centers, offering classes to educate the public, a space for public events, and programs for children. However, like everything else, the systems at your public library are online. That means when you take advantage of the library's benefits, you must also be concerned about your privacy. So let's take a look at a few steps that you can take to help maintain your privacy at your local library. First, be careful with the data that you give away to your library. Obviously, the library is going to need some basic data, like your name, address, and phone number. That's understandable, and it's all information someone could find out about you from many other sources. But libraries may also want some additional information. Some of this could be information about the things you like, which would help them target specific people with specific interests. For example, if the library was going to hold a Star Wars event, they might want to send a series of emails specifically targeting the people who mention they like science fiction. Information about your interests isn't necessarily something you need to hide. As I mentioned, the library would primarily want that in order to let you know about things you might be interested in, such as the release of books or new events. But there is always the possibility that it could end up in the wrong hands, either through the sale of your data or through a data breach. Although, at the same time, the information isn't extremely sensitive, and it's probably things people can already learn about you from other sources. All that to say, I will leave the decision of whether or not to provide this information completely up to you. But there's other information you'll be asked for when you register for a library card. When you go to get that card, you're going to be asked for your driver's license and usually one other form of identification, such as a utility bill. In some instances, the library will want copies of both of these items to keep on file. If you're asked for a bill to prove your identity, be careful what you decide to take. You don't want to take a bill that could have more sensitive personal information on it, like a credit card bill or a bank statement. If you must take something like a credit card bill or a bank statement because that's all you have, then bring a copy of it with the sensitive information marked out. That way, you can just hand it to them and you'll know that your information is going to remain safe. Last year, this caused problems for one library district. The Chattanooga library system suffered a data breach after they were forced to move their card application system online. 
a configuration issue with their online system caused the documents that were uploaded to be available to the public. Some people uploaded copies of their bank statements or credit card statements, which were then available online. Fortunately, analysis of the server revealed that it did not appear anyone accessed those documents maliciously. However, the fact remains that you need to be careful what documents you provide to the library. Second, when you use the library's resources, there will be data collected on you. The library's computer system is going to record the books you check out and much of the other activity that you do on the library. This information is all going to be collected and stored. Clearly, the library should not be providing this information to others, but that doesn't mean that it couldn't be compromised. Additionally, the data about your usage of the library could be aggregated, anonymized, and then released for research purposes. Put simply, if you want to make sure information about the books you're reading is absolutely not going to be available to others, you're best off buying the book and paying cash. Third, if you use the library's computer system, be careful what data you enter on those systems. While some libraries take great strides to ensure the data of its users is protected, some do a very limited job of protecting its patrons. So be careful if you must use a library computer. If you don't know what security precautions have been taken on that device, treat it as if it could be infected with malware. So that's all for today. Thank you for listening, and enjoy taking advantage of the many wonderful resources your public library has to offer. We will have a special episode this coming Friday for World Password Day, and then we'll be back again with a full episode next Monday. So until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked in the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.